Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the podcast that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. Our next show is coming up fast. We'll be a Dynasty typewriter at the Hayworth Theater on Sunday, February 10th with three great dead pilots. Cast is coming together. So far, we've got Noel Wells, David Walton, Nicole Bloom, Ian Gomez, a bunch more incredibly talented people. Three really funny scripts. Ticket info's on our social media or go to Eventbrite and search Dead Pilot Society. If you've never been to a live Dead Pilot Society reading, what are you waiting for? It's the best. Go to Eventbrite, get your tickets. Uh, I'm recording this on January 30th. And if you're a network pilot writer, this is deep into nail-biting, butt-clenching, deadline.com, refreshing time. The decisions on what pilots are getting shot are starting to trickle in. I've been in this position a stupid amount of times, and it's never easy. You're, you're in this situation where you could get a phone call that means you need to spring immediately into action, casting, finding a director, crewing up a whole production, spending the next three months making a pilot, and potentially years after that, making a television series. Or you could get a call that means that the script you've been working on for months basically gets thrown in a garbage can never to be spoken of again. And it's really hard to prepare yourself for both of those eventualities. You know, all of us, right, we're all just texting each other and wondering if anyone has heard anything, trying to interpret what the pickups mean for us as they start to come in. My pilot this year is at ABC, and there's a new network head there, which makes it even more mysterious and hard to predict. The only thing I know of that can make this time easier to deal with, and I don't always follow my own advice on this, but is to start working on another project. And I think this probably applies to a lot of situations other than TV pilot writing, but you know, you can always put that other project on hold if you get good news, but having something else that you're excited about really makes the bad news easier to take. Uh, by the next episode, you'll know what happened, and a whole new crop of dead pilots will have been born. Is born? Is that a weird word to use for things that are dead? Um, our dead pilot this time is Birthright by Joel Kim Booster, who's a fantastic stand-up comedian, as it, and as it turns out, a really good writer. Uh, I didn't get a chance to have one of my usual longer conversations with Joel, but my co-host Ben Blacker interviewed him live at the San Francisco Sketchfest. Our cast, led by Joel playing himself, also included Keiko Agena, Guy Branham, Lucy Davis, Tawny Newsom, Atsuko Akatsuka, Irene Tu, Craig Kakowski, Carla Kakowski. Will Choi and Alice Wetterland. Uh, there's definitely adult content here, people, and it starts right on page one. So if there are kids nearby or listening, be aware of that. Here is Ben Blacker's live interview with Joel from Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco, followed by Birthright after a brief message. Is there a dog in a car at a bar on the street? Yay! I'm Allegra Ringo, a small dog owner. My dog Pistachio howls when she's excited. And I'm Renee Culvert, a big dog owner. My dog Tugboat tips over when he's sleepy. And we co-host a podcast called Can I Pet Your Dog that airs every Tuesday. We bring you all things dog. Yes, dog news, dog tech, dogs we met this week. We also have pretty famous guests on Butt Legs. We're not going to let them talk about their projects. No. Just want to hear about those dogs. We don't want to hear about your stuff, only your dogs. So join us every Tuesday on Max Fun.
welcome Joel Kim Booster. <laughs> Hi, Joel. Hi. Hello. Well done. Thank you. Good acting. Yeah. Um, thank you. You have uh, sent us an, um, a really awesome pilot. Thank you. Um, it's called Birthright. Birthright, yeah. Um, tell me a little bit, if you would, about how this came to be. Um, okay, well, I guess it, so, uh, it started when I started doing, like, meetings with networks and, and things like that, and, and this I let me Let me interrupt you for a moment. I'm going to interrupt you a okay, whole lot, because yeah. I want to dig in on this stuff. Definitely. Um, you were sort of known as a comic. Stand-up, right? yeah. And, and people, so, because of that, they're like, this guy's funny. Right, I we're in the golden age of comedy. Um, <laughs> And everybody, you know, wants you to write a show. And I would go and sit down with these people. And a lot of, you know, old white men would tell me, like, oh, you've got to write a story about going back to Korea and meeting your real family. Um, <laughs> which is always deeply offensive <laughs> to me <laughs> on a couple of different levels. Um, uh, first of all, obviously, because uh, real family is such not the way I would put it. Um, uh, I am adopted, if you didn't know that. Um, and um, also, I haven't, I haven't been back to Korea yet, so it's not a story that I can really write. Um, <laughs> and, um, and I was in this process of sort of, uh, you know, my, my, my team, my agents and my manager were sort of like, you need to write a sample uh, to get staffed on a show, so you, write a script. Yeah, you had done some writing before uh, yeah, well, in your yeah, background. In right? undergrad, I was a playwriting major, mm -hmm. so, and I started out in Chicago writing plays. And yeah. Uh, I found out very quickly that uh, there wasn't a whole lot of money. Uh, so, so you went to stand-up comedy. storefront <laughs> theater. Yeah, so I went to stand-up comedy. Um, but um, yeah, so I had, I'd never written a teleplay though, and I remember talking to my manager about it, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I can't make this character gay and Asian and adopted. Like, that feels like a lot. <laughs> and... That's like death uh, and divorce exactly, in the pilot. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And my manager very smartly was like, well, we're not really trying to sell this. Um, it's just a sample, so just shoot for the fences and write whatever the fuck you want um, and be as you know honest to your voice as, y as you possibly can. And so I wrote that. I wrote a pilot that I truly never thought anyone would want to produce, huh. and um, someone did want to produce it, and then they didn't want to pick it up. Uh, so <laughs> everybody so was you. sort of right. Um, but it really is, I mean, I would imagine that this gave you some traction, like it must have gotten you into yeah, no, I mean outside of selling the thing. Exactly, like people respond yeah. to this, it's, it's a really, it's a good work, it's again, it's an emotional, it feels like a personal work. Yes, extremely personal, um, and it got, yeah, it got me pretty much every other writing job I've ever gotten um, since then, and it was a while ago, and yeah, it's, it's been, it was a long, it taught me a lot, the development process of this, of working on this pilot and this show specifically um, taught me a lot. I mean, and also just because we shot a pilot um, and then the network asked me to write five more scripts. So I've actually oh written half God, the season of this show. Um, That's what we should have done all day. Yeah, <laughs> a full With marathon. We'll come back, yeah, yeah um, we'll and do the whole thing. Um, second episode, Society. Exactly, Dead we'll do the whole episode. season. I can knock it out in a weekend. Um, well, let me ask you about that. I mean, let's talk about the writing process for a second. Um, was it difficult to sort of dig in on this? Obviously, it's personal material, but it's also very honest material. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is it, it is personal. It is about me sort of meeting my birth mother, but it is such a heightened version of it. It's, it's, it's practically magical realism, as you'll sort <laughs> of find uh, when we do the reading. And so for me, um, while sort of all the given circumstances of the character are very uh, true to who I am as a person um, in terms of like personality, there's it's, it's basically the worst parts of me blown up um, <laughs> into the script. But the everything beyond that, 
beyond the, the sort of inciting incident of the, of the show is so uh, fictionalized and just sort of fantasy. So there it's, it's weird because it's very personal, but at the same time, there's so much distance between sure. what, how it would actually play out. And um, I think if I were to write a story about how I relate and um, uh, deal with my adopted family, that would be, I think, a little bit more fraught for me to, to dive in and, and write about, which maybe someday after years of yeah. therapy, we'll get there. Um, <laughs> Do it before the therapy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, what, that's the version we want. Exactly. Um, let's talk for a second about the business side of yeah. this. So it eventually got sold to whom? Uh, it got sold to Fox originally. Uh, and then Fox, I developed it with Fox for a while. And then I wanted uh, too many blowjobs. And um, <laughs> it just wouldn't happen. This isn't so CBS. No, this is <laughs> not. <laughs> I, I don't, my voice Insider. is not for, for <laughs> network, uh, I guess. And well, so, well, um, let me ask you about that uh, before you tell us where it went. Um, when you were developing it for Fox, yeah. what kind of notes were you getting? What was their vision of it? How was well, it different? Well, and you know, it's funny, I joke about like the blowjobs, and obviously that was, a, that was a component of it, but there were so many, <laughs> there were so many just like little, little things about like, you know, the VP, <laughs> there was a dead cat at one point I'm, uh, in the script, and I remember a notes call, and it was like, the senior vice president of advertising really loves her cat, and so if she sees this, this <laughs> dead cat in the script, she will not like it, so you have to find a different joke. And it was just like very small, like you're just filtering through so many layers of like a network and a studio and like all of these different uh, people. Uh, it just felt like 30 people's whims were sort of going into <laughs> making uh, this show, and so that was uh, very frustrating. But they were very cool, because when they bought it, they said, you know, we will develop uh, one draft of this pilot with you, and if it doesn't work out, then we're not going to shelve it and hold on to it. You can have it back. Um, and they, they made good on that. So That's right. Um, so where did it go next? And then it went to Comedy Central, mm -hmm. um, where because we had already shot like a pilot presentation and had this script, that was where they were like, hey, can you write half the season just so we can see oh, what this cool. would look like? Um, and then did you put together a room for that? Did you do it? I had a room work? for um, almost two weeks, and we basically broke the season together, and then I went off and wrote um, the scripts um, on my own, and then they threw out one of them, so I wrote another one. Um, and so I wrote, I think all told, like seven different scripts um, in addition to the pilot for them at was the end of the, the writing process. What was the room experience like? Were you, had, you had you been in I a writer's room before? I had been in a writer's room. I had never been in a narrative writer's room before. Oh. I had been in sort of like comedy, uh, late night sort of uh, rooms, um, just writing jokes. and. Honestly, you know, it, it sucks that this show didn't get picked up, but that was the most gratifying experience of my life, was running, sort of co-running a room, uh, and it was sort of a moment for me where I was like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I should be doing oh with my great. life. Um, and yeah, it was great. And then why did this one end? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what did they tell you? This one ended, okay, th this is a sort of complicated, but so I wrote this script when I was 26 about a version of myself at 23, uh, and I'm now 30, shock. Um, <laughs> and they kind of came back to me after I'd written half the season and they were like, we kind of want to see a more self, a, a more <laughs> updated version of you in this script. And I was like, you know what? I'm 30 now, By the t if this gets made, I will be like 31 to 32 by the time it airs and I don't really want to be playing myself at 23 even <laughs> though I absolutely could. Um, <laughs> and so we reworked the pilot and sort of updated a few things and updated a few things about the character and ultimately, um, you know, I'll say this, I, I think um, Comedy Central really likes me, and I really, uh, I would like to put it on record, I love Comedy Central. <laughs> um, but I think 
they bought this show because they liked me and they wanted something else. I, I don't think they wanted this story and I, mm-hmm. I think they wanted something that was more similar to my stand-up more directly and sort of like what my version of like Louie would be, which a uh, problematic reference, but... Um, better things, your yeah. version of better things. <laughs> exactly, but my, my better things, my, my I'm sorry, and I think it was yeah. just sort of a conflict of um, I wanted to make this very specific sort of um, show about a town and a, and a community of Asian people in, a, in America, and they wanted a show about a, like, slutty gay guy, um, which I'm so happy to make that show someday. But, um, <laughs> Hello, this is Amy Mann. And I'm Ted Leo. And we have a podcast called The Art of Process. We're talking about how the creative process is in itself an art form, in our opinion. There are underlying forms and structures that serve as a scaffolding for any creative endeavor. We've been lucky enough over the past year to talk to some of our friends and acquaintances from across the creative spectrum to find out how they actually work. We weirdly don't know as many musicians as you would expect. New episodes will be coming every other Monday. Starting January 28th. So please listen and subscribe at Max MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast. This is Birthright, the pilot, written by Joel Kim Booster. It's a cold open. We see a teenage boy's bedroom. Quick close-up shots highlight his Bible quizzing trophies, his study Bibles, inspirational posters, and various other Christian keepsakes. We reveal the bed where we find Joel Miller, a 16-year-old gangly Asian teen, on his knees administering a blowjob to Chip Hurst, a 16-year-old white kid. (laughs) Chip pulls Joel off of him. I'm not gay. Uh, yeah, me either. (laughs) (laughs) He resumes giving the (laughs) blowjob. We hear Joel's voiceover. I guess you could say I knew I was gay before I knew I was Asian. (laughs) And we're in the First Baptist Church of Centerville. It's 2008. We see a close-up of Joel's family. Janet, Ken, and Lucy Miller in her 20s, sitting in a church pew. It's not as weird as it seems. I, like many other Korean babies, was adopted by a nice, loving, white family. We widen to see the completely white church congregation. Joel, in both race and dress, sticks out like a sore thumb. Joel leans lovingly on his mother. My parents never made me feel any different, though. We were a family. It wasn't that deep. What was pretty deep was my passionate love for cock. Joel looks over across the aisle to Chip and makes eyes at him. Chip blushes and then turns away. Janet taps Joel on the shoulder (laughs) and motions for him to pay attention to the pastor. Which was in stark contrast to my family's love for Christ. (laughs) It's 2014 and we're at the Cedarville Bible College. Joel sits in a college lecture hall. The board reads, Finding Jesus in Geometry. As a professor diagrams the circumference of sin. (laughs) My parents were so into Jesus, they forced me to go to some unaccredited Bible college, a school that felt the need to desexualize math. (laughs) We see another Korean boy across the aisle, also bored. Joel makes flirty eye contact. It wasn't the ideal place for me to discover myself. The boy leans in. Joel thinks they're about to flirt, but instead he speaks in Korean to him. Wait, I'm, I'm, oh, I'm so sorry. I don't speak, um. Wait, are we vibing? Or okay. The boy looks annoyed and motions forget it. <laughs> if anything, it made me feel all too aware of everything I didn't know about myself. 
and we go to a New York City street. Joel exits a cab onto a bustling street, pulling a rolling suitcase and another bag strapped to his back. After school, I convinced my parents to let me move to New York to do missionary work. I wanted to go to the most terminally gay city in America, <laughs> and there were no openings in San Francisco. <laughs> I'm gay! <laughs> a man stops and give, gives Joel a joyful hug. While he's getting the hug, a second man walks by and steals his suitcase. As he leaves, the first man cuts off his backpack and flees. The nice thing about New York is no one gives a shit who you are. No one really gives a shit about you at all. <laughs> and a bird shits on Joel. <laughs> We're in a New York subway station. Joel stands in stuffy-looking church clothes while his female partner stands next to him in a frumpy dress. They're standing near one of those carts that holds Christian tracts. A hot man stops by the cart and flirts with Joel. I only plan to do missionary work until I found a real job, but it turns out majoring in minor profits and minoring in major profits <laughs> didn't exactly make me an asset on the job market. As Joel and the man flirt, his partner tries to hand the man a tract. Joel boxes her out. It's not like I was in a hurry to figure something out anyway. Did I mention that my parents were paying my rent and my phone bill and my credit card bill? <laughs> and we go to a Brooklyn warehouse. Joel and the hot man dance in the middle of an underground gay rave with their shirts off. Sure, it wasn't exactly honest, but after a lifetime of hiding who I was, I deserved time to explore my culture. Joel takes a hit of poppers on the dance floor. And we go to a Brooklyn loft apartment, a dilapidated building covered in graffiti. It's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. I was happy, I thought, and then everything changed. Joel sits on his lofted bed in a very sad-looking bare bedroom. A finance bro sits, giving Joel a blowjob, a mirror of the opening scene with Chip. He looks up at one point and says, Hey, just so you know, I'm not gay. Yeah, 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 sure, me either, whatever. <laughs> just then, Joel's phone rings. We close up on Joel as he answers it. Hey, mama. Whoa, mom, mom, calm down. What's going on? The thing they don't warn you about when you stay on your parents' family plan. And we cut to the Miller home living room. Janet sits at a computer with Ken behind her, scrolling through. Honey, I don't see any pictures from our trip to Reagan's tomb on here. Are you sure they're on the cloud? All I see are a bunch of these wet mushroom caps. <gasps> <gasps> and we go back to the Brooklyn Loft apartment bedroom. We watch as Joel talks frantically with his mom on the phone. It turns out you share a family cloud, too. It was a little tough to explain away the hundreds of dick pics I collected in my three years in New York, not to mention the videos and the gifts. Joel hangs up. He screams. Suddenly we pull back and remember the bro has been going down on him this entire time. Should I keep going? Or Leave! <laughs> and while my parents' love for me isn't conditional, their financial support definitely was. I could either go home and spend a summer at some Mike Pence-approved gay conversion therapy camp, or I could stay in New York and try to make it on my own, completely cut off from the only source of income I'd ever known. My dad's very lucrative, but unpopular career as a dog euthanasiast. <laughs> Joel hops off his bed and exits. He enters the living room, a hipster's paradise full of old mannequin parts, antique parasols, a giant spinning wheel, and other general trash. His seven roommates are strewn about the room. Obviously, I couldn't go home. Joel clears his throat, and the roommates all turn to look at him. Hey, roomies, I am glad you're all here. Just thinking about the rent situation, and I was wondering how you'd all feel if I paid my share non-monetarily, you know, like in a dance or a poem or a monologue. They stare at him in silence. 
sex stuff. <laughs> and we're exterior of the apartment. Joel sits on the curb with his suitcase and a sad box of his other belongings. But with no apartment. We go to exterior to a Manhattan brownstone. Joel stands outside of a fancy Manhattan house. The hot man Joel was at the club with from years ago stands awkwardly. You can see a wife with a young child behind him. He shakes his head and shoes Joel away, slamming the door. No friends. On the New York street, Joel stands next to a halal cart. The halal cart man reads his resume and shakes his head, hands it back to Joel. And no marketable skills. It looks like New York wasn't an option for me anymore. Joel sits in a dumpy-looking Chinese food restaurant, sadly picking through some food, his belongings by his side. Maybe all I could do was go home and just be one of the thousands of sad, closeted guys living outside of Cincinnati, but then it hit me. Joel looks across the restaurant and sees an Asian mother happily eating and laughing with her young son. This whole time, I thought New York would show me who I was, but there was this whole chunk of my identity missing. Sitting there in that Chinese food restaurant, it hit me. I needed to be in Korea. I mean, maybe if I could get back to where it began, where I began, my life would start to make sense. Don't get me wrong, I love my family and I know they love me, but maybe there's something else out there for me, a different kind of family, one that will accept me and support me and help me figure out who the real Joel Miller is. And we cut to the Home Again Adoption Agency. Joel sits across the desk from Nancy, an exhausted, no-nonsense looking agency employee who has been patiently listening to this entire story. So anyways, that's why I'm here, uh, to find my birth family, discover who I really am, maybe find some purpose in my life, blah, 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 blah. You get it. I really didn't need to hear all those details. Well, I, j I, I just wanted you to have the full picture. Yeah, it was very graphic. <laughs> <sighs> okay, what's your name again? Joel Miller. Nancy begins typing. Not my birth name, of course. <laughs> I don't know my birth name. I, I hope you don't need that. My parents never told me. They didn't really tell me much at all. I know I was born in a little fishing village outside of Seoul. Oh, God, I can't wait to see it. To just stare out into whatever ocean is over there and then <laughs> just finally be at peace, you know? I could just, oh, my God, I just finally, I gave myself chills. You Blue know? Hill. I'm sorry, is that, is that what it means in Korean? I, I, don't, I don't get it. Blue Hill. Maine. Sweetheart, that's where you were born. Joel narrows his eyes at Nancy. Nancy stares back. I'm sorry, what now? <laughs> and that's the end of the cold open. <laughs> Act one, we're in a bus. Joel sits idly looking out the window. The driver over the PA announces, Next stop, Blue Hill. Next stop, Blue Hill. Joel perks up and looks out to catch a glimpse of his new home. We see a town that is gray and sad. Strips of businesses have closed or are on the verge of closing. Most every person the bus passes is Korean. Joel clocks this. We see an empty public pool full of feral cats. An Asian man throws heaps of cat food into it. We see a slightly more affluent part of town. An ancient Asian woman on rollerblades rides up next to the bus trying to peek in. We see the bus pull away, leaving Joel standing alone at the bus stop with his bags. He takes a deep breath. He pulls a piece of paper out of his pocket, reads it, looks around, shrugs, heads off with his bags in tow. We're in Siggy's diner moments later. Joel enters, there's a familiar doorbell clang. It's an old-fashioned greasy spoon establishment. Marcy, a perky waitress with a vacant sort of look in her eyes, approaches Joel. There you are. She's right over here. 
Marcy motions for Joel to follow. He's confused, but shrugs and follows. She leads him to the back of the restaurant to a booth where three middle-aged Korean women sit. They stop chatting and stare at Joel. Marcy does a ta-da motion to Joel. Ruthie, the alpha of this particular group, speaks up. Marcy, who is this? You told me to bring your husband to your booth when he got here. Marcy, does this look like a 49-year-old Korean man to you? Uh, yes. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I'm still the CW16, thank you. Go away, Marcy. Marcy flees. The three women smile at Joel innocently. <laughs> Happens all the time, right? Not in this town, it doesn't. Why haven't we seen you around here before? Oh, well, I just got here. I'm, I'm looking for someone, actually. Maybe you can help me? I'm sure we can. We know everybody in this town. Joel pulls a slip of paper out of his bag. Oh, that's great. Um, her name's Sarah Kim. I, I have an address, but half this town doesn't show up on Google Maps, which <laughs> I didn't think was possible. <laughs> Is this town like Brigadoon or something? I don't I'm sorry. Do you speak Korean? No. One second. They begin chattering away in Korean. <laughs> Joel is not pleased. After several moments, the women turn to Joel again. Sorry, never heard of her. Weird you had to have an entire conversation to tell me that. <laughs> it's a complicated language. Marcy walks behind Joel while the previous exchange is happening, looking over his shoulder at the paper. Oh, Sarah Kim. Yeah, she lives right down the road. All you have to do is follow this main street about a mile down, and her street will be on the left. Thank you, Marcy. He looks at Ruthie. So helpful. <laughs> he triumphantly leaves. Marcy stands, looking pleased until she catches sight of the women glaring at her. I, I know, I know. Go away, Marcy. The women immediately open their cell phones and begin to speak rapidly in Korean. We focus in on Ruthie's phone call. We're interior doctor's office exam room. Esther Kim, the town doctor, stands with a patient. A nurse knocks and enters. Esther moves out of the room and takes the call. She listens intently for a moment, and then finally... No, no, don't do anything else. I'll, um, I'll look into it. And we're exterior of a house. Later, Joel rolls up in front of a mid-sized ranch-style home. Tacky lawn ornaments, a half-empty kiddie pool with scorched mail, a couch, several vintage Ralph Nader signs, and other pieces of straight-up trash adorn the lawn. He considers for a moment before stepping up to the front door and knocking. Stirring can be heard from inside. Joel waits and then knocks again. Nothing. Uh, hello? Sarah? Sarah Kim? Are you home? I really need to talk to you. Uh, my name is The door Joel. swings open. Suddenly, Sarah Kim appears, mid-40s, covered in tattoos, in clothes she's clearly slept in, a cigarette hanging from her mouth, she looked at Joel, and then... Oh, shit. <laughs> and that's the end of Act One. <laughs> Act Two, we're in Sarah's house moments later. Oh, shit. We didn't sleep together, did we? Ew. Sarah looks like she's about to get violent. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not that. I I'm, I'm gay, which is actually sort of why I'm here. Um, oh, oh, you're one of guys. Come on. She wanders back inside, door open, leaving Joel standing on the porch in disbelief. From off screen. Hurry up! You're gonna let the birds in here! Joel rushes inside, mouthing more birds. <laughs> We're in the house. Joel follows Sarah into the living room. The house is a cluttered mess. Beer cans, full ashtrays, weed paraphernalia, and other assorted trash litter the living room. Oh, my God. Guys, get out here. One of your strays is returned. I'm sorry, who's Guy? Guy, a 40-something gay man, enters with sleep in his eyes. He's Sarah's best friend from high school. 
and has never left Maine, but otherwise believes himself to be the center of culture, gay and otherwise, in Blue Hill. What's going on here? Oh, what is going on here? I don't know, you slept with him. Did I? Wait, if I slept with you, then who? Guy wanders back into his room. Please, focus, are you Sarah Kim? Yeah, who wants to know? Are you from the government? Did Roland send you? If so, I did not set that mailbox on no, fire. No, I'm not from the government. Oh, well, between you and me, I totally set that mail on fire. <laughs> Guy re-enters with a twink in tow. No, this is definitely the one I fucked last night. Then who the hell are you? I'm your son. Leave, uh, now. The that twink flees. Guy pushes some trash off of a chair and sits. Guy, can you give us a second? What? No, Sarah, I was there when this boy was born. 13 pounds and 42 ounces. Okay, that cannot be right. Out. <laughs> Out. He slams the door shut. What did he mean he was there when I was born? Oh, oh God, is he my... What? Guy? No, no. He was just around in high school and gave me a ride to the emergency room. Then I was just never able to get rid of him. Oh, so you're a fag hack. And you're a fag. <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> so. Sarah sits, lights a cigarette. They stare. Were they good to you? Yeah, they were, for the most part. You know, it was pretty standard. Birthday parties, hugs, regular meals. Glad to hear it. So, we good here? I got a real bear of a day ahead of me. Sarah gets up and begins to compulsively clean, cigarette in hand. Wait, wait, what? No, <laughs> we're not good here. I, I didn't want to just meet you. I wanted to connect with you. Why? What do you mean, why? You're my mom. Do I look like a mom to you? I mean, no, but honestly, that's better. I thought you'd be some regular boring mom, but you're not. You're like young and hot. Oh my God, where are the Gilmore Girls? <laughs> <laughs> Do you need money because I'm barely keeping my head above water here? If my youth still worked, I'd sell another kid. <laughs> no, not exactly. A kidney then? Because if you do, I don't think you'd want any of the organs in this body. No, it's just my parents are super Christian, and once they found out I was gay, they completely cut me off, and now I don't really have anywhere else to go. You're what, 25? Shouldn't you, I don't know, have a job by now? Okay, first of all, I'm 27. It feels like you should know that. And secondly... <laughs> It is not my fault I never learned any of the necessary skills to get a real job. It's their fault. They made me dependent on them. Do you hear yourself when you talk? I'm just really lost here. I, I don't even know who I am anymore. I could just, I could really use a mom right now. This is real. Sarah absorbs this in silence for a moment. Hey, I could be your mom. <laughs> Guy. <sighs> Does this little routine normally work for you, or...? What routine? The whole teary-eyed, long-lost baby song and dance. Wait, this is it. I guess it confirms it. You really are my kid. Like mother, like son. My own little scammer. I'm not trying to scam you. I just need a little help. And take a look around. I'd help you as much as you'd help me. Just like Rory helps Lorelai. I, I mean, <laughs> your life is clearly a mess. Just hear me out. You're literally my only option right now. You're my mom. Okay, stop saying that. I'm not your mom, all right? I'm just a stupid girl who hates condoms and screwed up big time. That's all. Screwed up big time. <laughs> Joel is stunned. 
Suddenly, a horrific bird dump drops down the front of his shirt. Sarah grabs a hockey stick from behind the couch. Listen, if there's nothing else, I really have to club some birds now. Joel wants to say something, but he is for once in his life speechless. He turns to go, slams the front door. Moments later, we're exterior Sarah Kim's house. Joel's stuff is gone. He looks around for a second. Are you fucking kidding me? Fuck! He screams. He turns to maybe go back inside, but thinks better of it. He looks down at his bird shit shirt and heads off. He kicks a lawn, lawn ornament as he goes. Interior of Sarah's house. Sarah watches from her window as all this transpires and as Joel heads off. Guy comes up from behind and watches as well. Finally, Sarah, just FYI. I would totally fuck your son. <laughs> we go to an exterior of a motel later. Joel walks up outside of this dingy, rundown motel. Inside the super great motel, the interiors are just as depressing as the exteriors. Sonia, a woman in her early 20s, sits at the counter reading Runaway by Alice Monroe. Joel clocks this. Welcome to the super great, where your stay will be super great. We guarantee it. Oh my god, this is crazy. That is my favorite book. Really? <laughs> yeah, Alice is my girl. She really captures that evocative sense of the period and the um, prose is so lyrical, almost like poetry. You could, you could almost say it is poetry, but it's, it's definitely not poetry, right? No, no, no it's, it's definitely a book. Uh, yeah. <coughs> this isn't working, is it? No, rooms are $68 a night, no discounts. What if I told you I was gay? Oh, yeah, you should have led with that. Gay people stay for free. Joel narrows his eyes at Sonia for a moment, trying to decipher if she's being honest. Oh, you're funny. <laughs> Listen, let me be real with you. I need some help. I, I've been on a bus for 12 hours. I have literally nowhere else to go. All my worldly possessions just got stolen, and I'm covered in bird shit. You and everybody else. The bird lives inside my birth mom's house and shat on me seconds after she told me she didn't want to know me. Sonia considers him. She gets up and starts to walk away. <sighs> yeah, you should have started with that part. She leaves Joel. He isn't sure what's happening. Okay, do you want my help or not? Joel is ecstatic. He follows her off. We're interior Sarah's house at night. Sarah sits on the couch and takes a hit off of a bong. She's watching the Gilmore Girls. <laughs> she does not get it. The doorbell rings. She opens the door, and Esther stands on her porch, clutching an iced coffee. Don't slam the Sarah slams the door in her face. <coughs> Esther knocks again. Okay, you know my record for ringing this doorbell is three hours, right? It was 2.47. You're rounding up. Esther begins ringing the doorbell rapidly. Sarah opens the door again. Is it really him? How do you know about that? I barely just found out. <laughs> Some strange Korean boy shows up in town looking for you. Of course it gets back to me. Fucking hate this town. Yep. Well, town's not big on you either. Is he here? I sent him home. He doesn't belong here. Esther, what are you talking about? We're his family. You and the rest of those inbred losers aren't his family. Of course we're his family. And side note, you have to stop spreading the inbreeding rumors. It's starting to affect property values. <laughs> Just because you turned your back on us doesn't mean that we should... I turn my back on you? Dad threw me out when I was pregnant. That is not true. Dad was an asshole, Esther. A gaping, fissured, bloody 
asshole. Esther turns to go, pointing to the sky. Dad, did, did, did you hear that? Do you know that? You're pointing in the wrong direction. <laughs> you destroyed that man when you gave his grandson away to white strangers. Oh, weird. Because I thought I killed him when I told him I wanted to get an abortion. Maybe decide which version of I killed our dad you'd like better and stick to it. She is interrupted as the iced coffee Esther was holding is launched at her face. Esther is shocked at what she just did. Bitch, you better run. <laughs> and Esther flees. We're at the super great motel in the utility closet moments later. Sonia and Joel stand at the entrance of a small utility closet. There's some shelves with cleaning supplies, a water heater, and a small cot. Uh, I use this mostly to like take naps in, but luckily for you, it is off the books, so nobody should bug you in here. Um, wow, thank you. Yeah, there's like no key or anything, so I just wouldn't leave anything valuable in here. Well, I don't technically own anything valuable anymore. So. Right, yeah. Uh, my bad. Uh, okay, I guess I'll let you settle in. Oh, I almost forgot. Um, if you think you hear a ghost, it's just the pipes. Probably. <laughs> she exits. Joel lays down in the fetal position. After a beat, we hear the distinct sound of someone whispering Joel's name. But also, maybe it's a pipe. And that's the end of Act Two. We start act three in the utility closet at night. Joel lays in the cot. He's been crying. He pulls out his phone and stares at it. He has a ton of missed calls from mom and a voicemail. He wipes his eyes and listens to it. Joel, Joel, honey, where are you? Sweetie, please call us back. We just want to know where you are, that you're safe. Oh, baby, your father and I, we love you so much. Come home. Joel sits up and considers this. If you come home, we can tackle this thing together. Cindy Hurst, her son went through the same exact thing, but he got better. <laughs> we can fight this thing together, sweetheart. If you just... Joel hangs up as there's a knock at the door. He sorts himself out just as Sonia enters. She's holding a garbage bag. Hey. Hi. Uh, I like went through the lost and found. I just I thought I'd bring you some new clothes. Holy shit, thank you. You're like... Oprah. Yeah. You get an oversized Looney Tunes t-shirt, and you get an oversized Looney Tunes t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they laugh as Joel pulls off his shirt and puts on a gigantic t-shirt. Sonia sits on the cot, and they share a beat. You're like the first nice person I've talked to since I got here. Oh, shush. No, don't let that get around. You know, I've sort of got like a repped up hold as like the sole mysterious black person. So. <laughs> yeah, what is happening demographically in this town? <laughs> <laughs> There are so many Asian people, and all the white people look poor. I mean, you know, it's like 80 years ago, three Korean guys came to town, bought the laundromat, laundromat, and now their families basically run the entire town. It's like, tale as old as time. I feel like you skipped over some important details. Um, but I'm too depressed to care. Um, I'm Joel, by the way. I'm Sonia. Hey, um, I know we just, like, met, but... Do you want to go get drunk? Yeah, I don't know if I'm up for that. It's a gay bar. You're gay? No, I just don't like to be looked at or touched by men. Oh. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah. Um, let's do it. <laughs> I can't believe there's a gay bar here. Yeah, you are going to love it. And we cut to Sonia and Joel standing at the entrance of Escapade's Gay Bar. It's a sparsely populated dive with terrible lighting playing Nickelback. <laughs> I don't love it. You sort of... <laughs> You sort of like really need to be drunk. Guy enters from the back carrying a large case of alcohol. He catches sight of Joel, yelps, and drops <coughs> it. Wait, you, you can't be here. It's 2018. You can't talk to her that way. 
No, I am talking to you. Your mother would freak. Why would she care? She owns this place. Wait, oh shit, you're Sarah's kid? No wonder you're so fucked up. Ew. <laughs> My mom owns this place? This is basically a human rights violation. Excuse me? I will have you know that this is the only gay bar in three counties. Yeah. You're shitting me. Then why isn't it packed? It's Thursday, AKA Gay Saturday. Oh my God, this is it. This is my calling. Sonia, we are going to save this sad little gay bar. I mean, that, that sounds cool. I just kind of thought we'd like get drunk and maybe like platonically make out or- Sad like little, excuse me. What makes you think you're so special, little lady? <laughs> um, I'm from New York. <laughs> no, please. What is this, 1988? New York is played out. Blue Hill is poised to be the next big cultural hotspot. Yes. I love that delusional energy. But for Blue Hill to be cultural anything, there has to be gay people. Don't you see? This is how we all, all get what we want. You get a bar full of hairless wannabes, and I get to prove to my mom how much she needs me. And Sonia, she gets, um, she gets the satisfaction of being a good ally. All right, fine, but I better see y'all motherfuckers at the next Black Lives Matter rally, okay? <laughs> Absolutely, of course. But first, let's fill this place with facts. And we're exterior Sarah Kim's house at night. Close up of a bird on a bookshelf. Moments later, a hockey stick crashes against the bookshelf. Books and bird flying everywhere. Cut to Sarah standing and panting. She looks down at the mess and begins to pick, begins to pick up the books. She stumbles on a yearbook from 1992. She picks it up gingerly, considers opening it. Then she walks by the kitchen garbage can and throws it in. A beat later, she walks back again and digs it out. We go to escapades. Joel stands in front of Guy, Sonia, and a medium hot gay guy, giving them instructions like a general. Okay, is everyone clear on the plan? I mean, are you sure about this Ariana Grande girl? What about Cindy, or Janet, or Patty? Are those like your friends or something? I, I, they sound like moms. Moms aren't sexy unless they're crazy irresponsible, in which case gay people love that, okay? Look, I'm just not sure I feel comfortable posing as Joe Jonas on Grindr to lure guys here. For one, it feels dishonest. And for two, why not Nick? Okay. <laughs> why would Nick Jonas be at some dumpy gay bar in the middle of Maine? <laughs> and once you're here and they see how cool it is, they won't care if the worst Jonas brother is here, okay? We don't have time for your thinking. Everybody circle up. Everyone gathers around in a circle and holds hands. Dear gay Jesus, Yea, though I walk through the valley of this shoddy little cum dump, I will fear no strain of HPV, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff are a comfortable size, not too big, not too little, and not too chody. Amen. <laughs> and we go to Sarah's house. She sits on the kitchen floor, flipping through the yearbook. We see a picture of Sarah as a teen, goth and surly. The caption above her photo reads, most likely to get pregnant. She laughs. Next to her photo, we catch a glimpse of young guy with a caption, most likely to join a cult. She flips the pages forward, and a yellow piece of notebook paper falls out. It is a list of baby names. Most of them are terrible. Atticus, Blaze, DeMarco. She unfolds it further, and a picture falls out. It's a photo of Sarah at the hospital holding baby Joel. She's not smiling. Sarah studies the picture for a beat. Just then, her phone rings, startling her and the bird. It's Guy, she answers. Guy, it's my one night off. I, what, 
Okay, 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 I'm coming. She gets up, throws on her coat, and exits. It escapades moments later. She enters the bar and is stunned. It's packed. The lighting is completely different. The music is hip, and there are some mismatched TV screens rigged behind the bar playing old porn. Uh. Guy is pouring shots in some twinks' mouths. Woohoo! Sarah sees Sonia with her earbuds in at the bar reading her book. She approaches. You, reading girl. What's going on in here? Oh my gosh, crazy, right? It is all him. She points to the back of the bar where Joel is sitting on the pool table holding court. Sarah walks toward him. And I've said it once, and I've said it a thousand times, horses aren't gay. They're queer. Oh, hey! <laughs> you're here! Joel spots Sarah and hops down. How did you do this? All these people. You like it? Let me give you the quick tour. He takes her towards the bar. First thing was obviously the lighting. It's got to be low enough so you can't see the mane all over everyone's faces. <laughs> he points to the TVs. Screens are really important to gay guys so that we have something to look at when we're not looking at our phones. <laughs> Is that my bar back? We see the medium-hot gay guy dancing in some old loose cotton boxer briefs. He does not seem hot enough for that. He's not, which is perfect because it makes the other guys mad and we're at our horniest while we're resenting someone else's body. <laughs> In the bathroom, there are stalls with shower curtains. You didn't have any doors on any of these stalls before, which meant there wasn't any place for people to do drugs. Now there are. He pulls back one of the curtains. Hey, we're doing drugs in here. Yes, exactly. How did you do all this? Turns out being gay is my only marketable skill. <laughs> Sarah laughs and realizes he's not joking. Oh, you're not kidding. That's kind of sad. <laughs> if you think having a thriving business is sad, then get ready to sob. I have so many ideas for this place, we could really make this place a landmark. We. Before Joel can answer, Guy comes running in, brick in hand. <laughs> the police are here! Why? And why are you holding that brick? This could be Blue Hill Stonewall, and I could throw the first brick. I'd be a gay historical figure. Like... Harvey Milk, or that JetBlue flight attendant who went crazy on the tarmac. I told you a thousand times, no bricks. Sarah yanks the brick out of his hands and walks off with Joel. Guy stands for a beat, then pulls a second brick out of seemingly nowhere. <laughs> At the front bar, Sarah pushes by him and approaches the two cops, both Korean. Uh, excuse me, ma'am, are you the owner? Mark, we went to elementary school together. What's the deal? Does the Blue Hill PD suddenly have an issue with gay people now? Guy boo. leads a boo and a hiss. Uh, boo. Oh, man. Come on. You know it's not like that. My cousin's gay. He subtly indicates with his eyes that it's his partner. Wait. Huh? I'm, I'm not. No, to, <laughs> to tell you the truth, some of your neighbors were a little worried. It's usually pretty empty in here, and what, with all the crowds? It's not always empty. The last time this many people were in here, that cult was using your bar as a staging ground to take over the town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a rough week. Well, uh, hey, thanks for stopping by, but there's no issue. Things are just going to be a little bit busier around here from now on. Yeah, Blue Hill is about to become Maine's biggest gay attraction, so buckle up, bitch. This is the new normal. <laughs> Sounds great to me. Y'all have a good night. Ryan Murphy is a genius. <laughs> they turn to go. And don't come back! The crowd cheers. Just before they exit, a brick narrowly misses their heads and hits the wall. They turn. Oh, no. Everything breaks out into a riot. People pushing and screaming. In the midst of all of this, Guy screams. I did this! This was me! <laughs> and that's the end of Act 3. Act four, we're exterior the Escapade's parking lot. Sarah and Joel sit on the curb drinking beers. They both look a little disheveled. After a long silence, 
You can be a bar back. Wait, for real? Temporarily. And while you're here, you can be in charge of music and lights and whatever. Oh my God, oh my God, <laughs> thank you. I will not let you down, I promise. So wait, um, what should I call you? Sarah, dipshit. <laughs> what else would you call me? Yeah, no, duh. <laughs> you know the bar is just the beginning. I have so many plans, plans for this whole town. I really don't get what you find so appealing about this place. Are you kidding? This place is insane. I mean, sure, it's a little economically depressed, and I may have been touched by a ghost today, but <laughs> I feel like it's brimming with possibilities. He stands and spins around. I feel free! Joel is interrupted as a giant bird shit falls on his shirt. Are you fucking kidding me? Is every bird in this town ill? He, con <laughs> he continues to scream at the sky as Sarah sits and smirks. We pan slowly out to reveal the rest of the parking lot. First, a cop car, guy banging on the back of the windshield. Sonia kneels next to the door trying to break in, yelling at Guy to be quiet. Finally, around the corner, we see gay cop making out with medium-hot barback, <laughs> blissfully unaware of what's happening to the car. And that's the end of the episode. And that is it for our show this month. Thank you to Ben Blacker. Thank you, Noah Findling. Uh, thanks to Janet Varney, everyone at SF Sketchfest. Please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, Wherever you get your podcast, you know where you get them. I don't have to list a bunch of podcast services because you're listening to this on one of them and just subscribe to it on that one that you use. Then you won't miss an episode. And while you're there, leave us a rating. Uh, you should also really follow us on all of those evil social media outlets. Uh, we're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at Dead Pilot Society. You'll find out about all of our live shows. Get your tickets for February 10th at eventbrite.com. I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. <laughs>